So we are in week four of The Helper, and over the first few weeks we've, we've talked about um, who the Holy Spirit is. The biggest thing to take away there is He's God, right? The Holy Spirit's God. And we've talked about what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, next week, we are mentioned earlier, we're going to start making this turn, right? We're going to start to look even more specifically about not just what does the Spirit do, but what does He want to do in us, through us, what does He want us to do. Um, so today... Today we're going to spend some time looking a little more specifically about what he wants to do in us, through us, to get us ready for that. We're going to look at a ton of scripture, so I need you to get your Bibles out. If you've got your Bibles or your, your devices, so if you've got a real Bible, get that out. If you've got a fake Bible, get that one out too. It's all good. It's not fake. I'm just joking. Um, so you need to go to Daniel, okay? Daniel's in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, here's what you do. Psalms is in the middle of most Bibles. So if you'll go to Psalms and then like go write five or six books, you'll find Daniel. So I need you to find Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be there a lot. Um, you know what a tether is? Who's familiar with tethering? You know what a tether is, right? Tether is when you tie, tie a rope to something or um, in, in Wi-Fi it's something different, but still the same, same means the same thing. It's kind of like you want to be attached to that thing. You want to know where it is all the time. So we're going to be tethered to Daniel 3. So you need to put your finger there, your, your elbow, your foot, put your neighbor's head there, whatever you want to do. Put something in Daniel 3 so you can always find it. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Holding the iPhone up to her forehead. That's really good. You want to keep, keep that there because we're going to look at a ton of scriptures. Like I'm going to give you verses to look at. We'll be flipping back and forth, but we'll always come back to Daniel chapter 3. So while you're looking for that, let me give you um, five things that we've learned that we need to make sure we don't forget. Number one, we've already mentioned it, the helper is God. But what we've learned about the helper being God is that we can't and I'm not going to ask you to nod if you agree, but just if you at least remember that we've talked about this, okay, so we have some common ground. We've learned that the helper's God, and because he's God, we're probably never going to fully understand him, right? And so we can't afford to ignore him even though we don't fully understand him, and that's the first thing. Second, we've learned that the helper is powerful, but he's a person. He's not a force. He's not um, an it. He's, he's a person. Third, and we talked about this last week, an inside job, right? We talked about how he wants to work change in us that will then change things around us. Sometimes, I just kind of mention this again, we've got, like Phil said, so many different backgrounds in here. Some of you are like the holy who, and, and then others are like, oh, Holy Spirit, huh, I've been in those weird churches. So depending on where you fall on that spectrum, um, my, my spectrum is I started out who? And I ended up in like, what? <laughs> it's crazy. Um, what we've learned is a lot of times, especially the crazy ones, we want all the external power. We want the Holy Spirit to do fun, crazy things on the outside, but we forget that what he really wants to do is an inside job first. He wants to change us inside before he uses us to change things outside. Fourth, and we mentioned this when Brittany gave her testimony. What a great example of this. We cannot realistically expect to learn about the Holy Spirit and not realistically expect to be changed. So, again, that, that picture of the dynamite, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being dunamis power. It's the word we get dynamite from. We cannot light a stick of dynamite, throw it in the room, and then expect nothing to change when it blows up. It's going to blow up. Things are going to be changed. It's just going to happen. I told you early on, if you look at the people next to you, go ahead and look at them now. More than likely, a year from now, they will not look like they look now. And I don't, even, I don't even mean physically. I mean, you know, they might be a little taller, a little shorter. They might be a little healthier if they've done like a Daniel fast or they've detoxed. They might be a little, you know, whatever. But spiritually, spiritually, 
they're not going to be in the same place. Okay? I loved, your, I loved how, you, how you talked about the Dream Center. I love that because it's like, I don't know what to do with this, but it's burning in me. I've, I've just got to do it. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit does. Like, I've got to before I know why or how or all the, all the stuff that, all the questions we want answered. We have to accept that when we light that stick, throw it in the room, things are going to change. And finally, um, this might be the most important one, the helper's our friend. The helper's for us. How awesome is that? He's for us. He's our friend. And that's really important as we start to shift from kind of um, who he is, what he does. That's kind of like over here. But now we're starting talking about what he wants us to do. We've got to trust that he's for us, that he's our friend, that he, he's working on our behalf. So that's kind of where we find ourselves today. Um, we're going to be in Daniel 3 because I think uh, we're going to look at the story of these three men. You probably, if you were raised in church, you've seen... Um, uh, You've seen this on flannel graph, depending on how old you are. You've drawn pictures and colored them. You've heard somebody talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you haven't seen it in church, but you know about the Veggie Tales, you've seen it there, right? I mean, and if you've never heard of it in church, you've never heard of it in Veggie Tales, what we're going to learn is a story about these three men who took a stand for God and what happened in their lives. I do believe this, that there's a lot of parallels between what's happening to them and what's going to happen in us through the helper. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. Um, I'm not going to read you the whole story. We're in Daniel chapter 3. I'm just going to try to talk to you if I can. to kind of try to catch you up on what's going on to get us down to verse 16. That's where we're going to, we'll be in verse 16 through 18. We won't read it yet. But let me just kind of catch you up. So here's what's going on. There's a king. And his na- name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he is... Um, Maybe you've had a boss like this. He's like the guy that believes that the sun rises and sets with him, right? He believes he's the most important person in the room. He's totally sold on that, and he has surrounded himself with yes men who will tell him everything he wants to to know and hear, and yes, you are the person the sun rises and sets on, and no, when you go to the bathroom, it does not stink. Yes, it does right but he believes all this about himself and so the bible says that he decided he was going to build this huge statue 90 feet high and nine feet wide that looks just like um now when i was in college i was working out all the time I mean, I would look, I know it's hard for you to imagine, but just try to picture me with muscles, and that's what you'll see, right? I was working out all the time, and I went through this period in my life where I was doing selfies before selfies were cool. Here's how I would do it. I didn't have, um, like, the phone we have today with the camera, but I would take these cameras, and I would set them up on, um, like, you know, my bed or whatever, and then I would get dressed, and I would, like, rub my body down in oil, and I would do, like, the three-point crab. And I would, I would do the lats, and I would do the double bicep pose, and I would take pictures of myself. And, and then I would, I would love them. I would look at them. I would admire my beauty. That's, that's, that's jacked up. But there was this one picture, this one three-point crab picture that was fantastic. Fantastic. And so what I did was I took the negative. Now, I know some of you don't know what negatives are, but negatives, they were like this little small thing, and they came like in a sleeve of five, and you would hold them up to the light and flip them because they were backwards, and that was what you made the picture from. Now you just like take the picture, right? But back then you had to take the picture, process it, 
look at the picture, look at the negative. You never wanted to lose the negative because if you had to replace the picture, you had to have the negative. It was a very, very long, drawn-out, tedious process. I'm so thankful for technology, right? It's made it a lot easier to um, flatter yourself with pictures of yourself. But back in the day, I found this negative, and I sent the negative to Kodak, and I paid Kodak to take my picture and blow it up poster size, and I hung it in my dorm room. <laughs> I have no knowledge of anything and where these things might be at all. So the deal is this. Poster size, I would wake up every morning and see me. Yes, Paul, you are amazing, right? The whole deal. But here's King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to a whole nother level. They don't have cameras and selfies and all that, but he's got people that he can pay, probably didn't pay, just made them, got slaves and said, you're going to build me a statue of me that's going to be nine stories high. That's how high 90 feet is. Nine stories high, nine feet wide. And here's what we're going to do just for the fun of it, because my yes men said we should. I'm going to get a band together, and when they play a certain song, you're all going to bow to me. Well, it's not really me. It's my statue, the big dude behind me. And if you don't bow, here's what we're going to do. Just to make sure you want to play along, if you don't bow, we're going to throw you into a blazing furnace of fire. Got it? So they would blow the trumpet, play the song. Wherever people were, they would bow. I guess it wasn't hard to see the statue. It's nine stories high. It's like, can you imagine a nine-story high building in Albemarle? It's like, oh, there it is, right? No matter where you are, you can see it. So people all over the city dropping, bowing, getting back up, doing their thing, except for three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And word got back to the king through the yes men. It's our chance to move up into company. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of the king's leadership team. So if we could bump them out of the way, we can elevate ourselves. And so they got word back to the king. Uh, listen, this thing's working out great. Love the statue. Fantastic. There's these three guys that won't bow. So King Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit bothered by that. And so he calls everybody together. He said, you know, here's what we're going to do, guys. Instead of everybody bowing wherever they are, we've got this huge courtyard. So what I'll do is I'm going to sit up on the platform. We'll have the big me behind me. And we'll have all the important yes men up here. And then we're going to have all of you, everybody that I, everybody's out here in the courtyard. And we're going to play the song. The band's going to be here. And when they play it, everybody's going to bow. So that's what they did. And everybody bowed except... One, two, three. Because when everybody bows and you don't, it's not hard to count, is it? King's like, what's, what's going on? So he stops everything. Whoop, hold on, hold on. Everybody, y'all just, y'all stay down, stay down. Listen, you through out there? I don't know if you understood what I said, but what I said was I'm important and I'm important enough to, to worship. So when I play this again, you're going to bow down. If you don't bow down, what we're going to do is we're going to throw you in this furnace over here. This, that one over there. See all the hot smoke and heat and fire? It, you're going to go there. So go ahead, crank it up again, guys. Here we go. And they played it again and they still didn't bow down. And that gets us to verse 16, okay? And this is what we're going to learn this morning. Three, four things that the Holy Spirit's got to do, i, I got to give you the bad news first. I believe this. I believe that what the helper's going to do is he's going to put you in situations just like this one. Okay? He's going to send us out. He wants to send us out. So if he's going to send us out, he's got to get us ready for this. And here's how he prepares us to be sent out. Here's four things that happen. Here's number one. He wants to settle us. 
He wants to settle us. If we're going to be sent out for God, we've got to be settled about God. Long before these three men encountered this furious king and her, his idol, they had to be settled in their souls about what mattered most. And when we're settled about God, unsettled circumstances can't unsettle us, right? Now, I don't know if you know people that are not settled. I've been around some. They panic real easily, right? They get flustered and freaked out. Um, I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So let's just talk about some people that we've seen lately. Russell Wilson, not unsettled. Dude just walks over on the sideline. I mean, I've heard, even like they came back against Green Bay. I'm sorry if you're a Green Bay fan, but they came back and like when they were down, it looked like nobody could win. He's walking over on the sideline looking at his offensive lineman going, we got this. We got this. One or two plays, we score, we're going to win. I mean, that's unflappable. That's settled. Then there's people that are the opposite of that. One thing goes wrong, and suddenly, like, the world's coming to an end. Chicken little, sky's falling everywhere. It's crazy, right? Man, listen, we can't expect to be sent by the Holy Spirit to help people who are unsettled if we're not settled. What the world does not need is a bunch of panicky believers. They need settled, confident believers. And that's what these three were. Here's, let me just read to you what they said. We'll have it up on the screens if you don't have your Bibles with you. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Just listen. Listen as I read this. Listen to the cement in their soul as they sign their death certificate. Because they're going to go die. Listen to what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. Man, that's, that's cement. Let me just paraphrase. Here's what they said. When you're settled, you can say stuff like this. They said this, God can, so we won't, even if he doesn't. I mean, where are you right now in your walk with Jesus? Where are you in, with the ability to look at unsettling circumstances, people that want to pull you down and be able to say to them, my God can, but even if he doesn't, we won't. Are you that settled in your spirit with God? Like, okay, Paul, that's Old Testament. Doesn't even apply to us today. Whatever. So let's go to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. We'll have it up on the screen too if you don't want to turn there. But if you got your elbow or your neighbor's head in Daniel 3, you're going to want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 18 through 22. Just listen. Listen to, as Paul's writing, just listen to the surety of his words, okay? Listen to the unwavering voice. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Do you hear the settled nature of those words? Paul says this, there's no wavering with God. It's not yes and no. Now, I feel so bad for my kids. I don't know if your kids have to deal with parents like we are, right? 
But like, I feel like I say to them, we'll do this. And then some we get tired, stuff comes up, it doesn't happen. And it's like, I think some of my kids are like, my dad's like, so yes and no. God is not yes and no. He's yes. Paul said, man, God says amen, which means so be it. It means it's finished. It's like stamp, done, amen. That's what God's word is, amen. It's done, it's final. The stability of God allows us to stand firm in Christ. The helper seals us with God. I love that. Verse 22, when talking about the helper, he says this, the spirit is put in our hearts. The helper is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I know we can get all kinds of theological stuff there, right? Like, you know, well, once saved, always saved, once saved, four times saved, five times saved, never saved, whatever. All I know is this. When I was a youth pastor, it just seemed like every week I saw the same kids at the altar saying, I just need to get saved. At some point, like, if you're that unsettled about your salvation, there's no way you're going to the Dream Center to help. God's kingdom grow. You've got to be settled. And it's got to be an anchor in your soul. Like these three men could stand in front of a king and say, I don't care if God doesn't rescue me. I'm so settled in who God is. There's no way I'm going to bow. Kill me. Because my God can. And even if he doesn't, we won't. Man, you got to be settled. You've got to be settled. Are you settled in your salvation? Do you know who you are and whose you are? Man, these guys knew it. Paul knew it. There is no yes and no. It is yes in Christ. Being settled for believers that are called by the helper and being sent out by the helper. Being settled is the first step towards being able to be moved by God and unmoved by men. And that's a weird thing, right? But somehow we want to be so pliable, don't we? I want God to say, Paul, do this. And I'm like, yes. And then when I do it and men hate it, I'm like, I hate that for you, but God said to do it. I want to be moved by God and unmoved by men. And when you're settled, you can do that. It's critical because God's going to send us into unsettling places. So he wants to settle us. Here's number two. You're looking at your watch going, dang, that was a long point. He's got three more. I hope these are shorter. I don't know. We'll just see. He wants to engulf us. He wants to engulf us. <laughs> I don't know, again, what, what your history is with church. Um, I was kind of raised with this teaching, like, if you do the right things, good things will happen to you. Have you ever heard that teaching? It's a bunch of bull. Um, Because if you do the right thing, sometimes you get thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. So what happened here with these men was they did the right thing. They said, I'm telling you right now, I believe it, I receive it. It's like, sweet, receive it in the fire, right? Sometimes the plan of God, whether we like it or not, and I don't fully understand it, and I'm not saying it to be callous, I'm just saying it to be real, real and authentic and true to Scripture. Sometimes the plan of God is we're going into fire. Because... I. Because there's, there's things that he wants to do in us that have to happen there, right? Because these three men stand for God and get thrown into a fire. And I think it's important that we understand, before we see how God delivered them, that we understand what is the nature of fire? How does nature really work? So we're going to go to Fire Academy 101. Is that cool with you? You will not get a badge at the end of this. You cannot get a job. You do not get a pay raise. You'll just know a little bit more about fire from a scriptural standpoint, okay? So some scriptures to write down. We'll put them up on the screen. Just jot them down. You can read them later. Hebrews 12, 29. 
Hebrews 12.29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Here's what that means. Um, how many of you have a fireplace in your house? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, how many of you have a cigarette lighter in your car? Okay. Um, what do these things, have, these things have in common? Fire is contained. They're contained. That when you push the cigarette lighter in your car, if you still have one, if you push that, like, you don't push it and then the car just... Right? It's like in that little thing, whatever that cool thing is, and you're like, it's not even glowing. Ow! Right? It just hurts. If you're in your house, we would never go to Parker and Will and say, hey, let's have a fire tonight. Um, just anywhere you want. Preferably in the fireplace. Right? How many of you have a fire pit in your backyard? It's a place where you have fire, and then it's a lot of stone around it to make sure that you don't have fire every place. Is that the way it works? Right? See, here's what you've got to know that's not how God is. Our God is not a contained fire. He's a consuming fire. We try to contain him. He is not a contained fire. He's a consuming fire. Matthew 3.11. Matthew 3.11. Um, and then we'll get to Acts 2.3 as well. These are just verses that kind of show us that fire is often used as a symbol for the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is Jesus talking. But after me is one who is more powerful than I. I'm sorry, that was John the Baptist. I'm, is one more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What we just learned is I'd be a really bad news anchor man because I can't read the teleprompter fast enough, right? And just make, I'm just making up stuff. You know, sandals, shoes, converse, whatever. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus comes. He's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Acts 2.3 tells us this, that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, right? That were on the, at the day of Pentecost. When you read fire in the Bible, you've got to think helper. Holy Spirit. This is a symbol for the Holy Spirit, okay? So we know this. Our God is a consuming fire. We know this from earlier studying that the helper is God, right? Which means that the helper is also a consuming fire. And so if the helper is a consuming fire, it's probably important if we know where the helper is going to be, right? Because wherever the helper goes, he tends to consume. So Romans 8, 9 Romans 8 9, I don't often ask you to do this, but if you're here today and you are absolutely 100% totally sold out following Jesus, raise your hand. I mean, you're all in, you're following Jesus, you're a Christian, you know, without a doubt, you die right now, you're going to heaven. If you raise your hand, this verse applies to you. This verse applies to you. I did not ask if you were Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, chandelier swinging, just if you're a believer, right? Just if you're a believer, Romans 8 9, this is for you. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You're a believer. You've got the Spirit in you. And that sounds so good, right? Everybody go, amen. amen. Here's the problem. Our God is a consuming fire. And so if our God, through the Helper, is a consuming fire, and he's in us, what's he going to do? Consume us. It's what he does. He consumes us. 
At salvation, we receive the spirit that is not on us, but is in us and is burning through us. When I read Daniel chapter 3, um, when I read about them going into the fire, uh, it just always blows my mind how, how hot it was, right? Like it says that they um, turned the heat up, I think seven to ten times as much, so, so much so that the people that carried them to the fire and threw them in, they died. Like, what a great job, right? I don't know if it's really hot or not, but y'all just test it out. So they throw them in, they die. And then the king, who's not good at math, whatever, I don't know where he went to school. If it was local, I have no idea, but he wasn't good at math. And so he, he goes, wait a second, like, didn't we put three in there? Because I think I see four. So something, something starts to happen, and these men who were tied up bound, because you read it in Daniel 3, the king goes to the checklist. Wait, wait, did we not tie them? Did we not put three did we not, did we not, did we not? And they're like, yes, 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 because they're yes men. He's like, well, then tell me this. Why are they not tied? Why are they walking around? And why in the world is there four and one looks like God? Let's answer that question. How can fire not consume something? I think I have the answer. I think that when the fire inside us is more powerful and hotter than the fire around us, the fire around us cannot consume us. I think that these men had fire in them that was greater than the fire they got thrown into. You have a God in you who is a consuming fire. And when he begins to consume who you and I are, we don't have to be afraid of the fires around us. They can't touch you. He engulfs us. I used to tell teenagers this, because everybody's got different phrases like, receive the Holy Spirit, baptize in the Holy Spirit, yeah, whatever, like, Here's what I tell them all the time. Look, you get saved, you get everything. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. But at some point in your life, he's going to get you. He's going to be, and he just wants to overtake you. Have you ever seen somebody get overtaken by emotion? Have you ever experienced that? It's funny to watch other people. It's awkward when it happens to you, right? It's like sometimes they laugh inappropriately because they can't stop it. Sometimes they get, so they get so chuckled as they're trying to tell you a joke, they can't even tell the joke because they're laughing so hard, they just can't get it under control. Um, I've seen people get overwhelmed with the emotions that they want to cry. Like you're just having a normal conversation. It's me. That was me. I took my family to see Toy Story 3, right? It's a great movie. Like I'm like halfway into it, I'm just like... And he, he just, you swallow it. <sighs> like this, overwhelmed with emotion. That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, he doesn't make you look funny, like the face is not right, but there's something about the Holy Spirit when he's in us and he starts to consume us. I mean, I've been pr my prayer for our church is that he would overtake us. Is that this, this fire in us would consume us would make me do the weird white guy can't dance moves during worship. Like, I just cannot be still. There's something in us. It's the Spirit of God. And He wants to engulf us. He wants to consume us so that we don't have to be afraid of whatever fires people might throw us in. The sent ones are consumed. They are burning ones. They are engulfed with the Spirit's fire. So, He wants to settle us he wants to engulf us and then um he wants to nestle us which i don't know if you're like me but when i see nestle i just think nestle chocolate and you also like you see nestle chocolate 
He wants to nestle us, which is kind of a weird word, right? So let's just talk through what nestle means, and then let's talk about why we see nestle and all that stuff. Nestle literally means this, to burrow, snuggle, and cuddle, which I'm just going to say right now is a really weird way to describe my relationship with God. I just want to cuddle with the Spirit, right? It's weird. Weird. I just want to snuggle up next to Him, right? But here's the thing, nestle, right? Any chocolate fans, chocolate lovers in the house? Yeah. Um, we are admittedly, we're chocolate, chocoholics at our house, um, love, them, love chocolate a lot. Chocolate is so powerful, isn't it? That like if you're having a bad day, it's amazing what chocolate can do, right? So Wendy is the sweetest person on the face of the planet. But if it's a certain kind of chocolate, she's going to have what she calls her chocolate stash, which is kind of like drugs because you don't know where it is, right? And so if you can ever find the stash, oh, sweet Moses, it's so good, right? If she's had a bad day, and I can go into the kitchen, and I can find that stash, and I can pull out a small, like, square wrapper thing of chocolate, I just kind of walk over, and I hold it around, and I'll just throw it. And if it lands on her lap in the couch, I mean, it's like her whole face just lights up. Chocolate. I mean, I get one for me, too, because it's amazing. So if you see Nestle, I'm cool with that because that's what the Spirit does. He comforts, He protects, He nestles us up underneath Him. That's what happened with these three in the, in the fire. Suddenly they weren't in the fire alone. They were nestled with God. The Son of God showed up. Jesus is hanging out in there like they're playing musical chairs in the fire. They're just walking around, talking, waving to people outside. What's up? Did you bury those guys that threw us in here? Sorry. Man, he just nestles us. It's what he does. These, these three were so protected by God, so protected by the Spirit, that the Bible says when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. You ever been around a campfire? Like, for weeks you smell like smoke, don't you? It's like it just gets in your pores and your clothes, everything. Like, you take showers, you're scrubbing, it's still, oh, still there. It's this distinctive smell. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. To protect us. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't put this on the screen because I just want you to listen. Psalm 91. It's, I'm going to ask you to do something while I read this to you. If you're, if you're in the middle of a fire. And you know, I don't know who the yes men are in your life. I don't know who your king is. Um, sometimes the king is the boss. Sometimes the king is, um, you know, financial trouble. Sometimes the king is, please don't look at them when I say this, your spouse. Sometimes the king is a family member. There's lots of things that can go on in our lives that throw us into the fire, right? But here's what I want you to know. If you're in that place right now today, I just want you to listen to what God says to you. I want you to listen to the words in Psalm 91, how he, how he protects, secures. Just listen to how he nestles us up next to him. He says this to you if you're in the fire today. He says this, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely... He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. That's how he nestles us. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, 
nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You will only see with your eyes the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near you, your tent. You will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will lift you up in, your, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's a God who nestles us in who he is. And if we're going to be sent by the helper, if we're going to go on a mission, I'm telling you, we're going to places where we will feel like it's total chaos. It's crazy. Who's got me? We've got to know Our God's got us. The Holy Spirit settles us. Shelter, rest, refuge, fortress, cover. Uh, Again, I know this is Old Testament. Let me give you a verse in in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1, 14. It just shows us one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says this. Hey, Timothy, you, you, Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. But guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And one of the reasons why you have the helper is to help guard you. He protects you. He nestles you. He's got you. He protects us. When we find ourselves in the fire, he's going to work it out. He's going to keep us. If you're in the fire now, and statistically, you either are or you're going, right? If you're in the fire now, the temptation is to think that somehow there's been a glitch in the system. Isn't that how we respond? It's how I respond. I shouldn't say we. It's how I respond. I'm like, "Um, God, something broke. (laughs) Something broke because, like, I was doing what you asked me to do. I told the king with the big poster of himself doing the three-point crab, I'm not going to bow. That's what you said to do. And here I am in the fire. What up? We think something's broken. There's a glitch in the system. But here's what I want you to understand. Somehow, God has not lost track of you. He sees you. He's in the fire with you. The helper's right there, nestling you, shielding you, keeping you free of fire and smoke. So here's the question. If God's in, that's how I think, if God's in the fire with me, why didn't he just go and blow it out? Wouldn't that be great? Because of the last one. Because the last thing he wants to do in you before he sends you out, he wants to distinguish us. He wants to distinguish us. The reason why he doesn't just blow the fire out is because there's something that needs to be done for us that can only happen in the fire. And here's what it is. He is marking us as his. Um, Back in Daniel, Daniel 3, the end of the story. Daniel 3, 26, we will throw this up there for you. After he sees that there's four people walking around in the fire, right, he walks up and he looks in, and here's what it says in Daniel 3, 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now let me ask you this question. If you're in a fire, what's the most important part of that sentence? Come out, right? 
but it's not. The most important, most important part of that sentence is servants of the Most High God, and here's why. Because if you read Daniel, he's called these guys many times before this. He knows their name. He knows who they are, but he always calls them like this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Something happened when they went into the fire, stood in the fire, and didn't get consumed. That alone marked them as gods. It distinguished them. He said, wait a second, you're not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. The fire sets us apart so that the world sees a difference in us when we're sent to them. I wish there was a better way. I wish there was an easier way. But there's not. And I know that you don't like that. So I brought my favorite movie clip to make it easier to swallow, right? Um, if you've been a part of the gathering, you've seen this at least, I think, one other time. But it's so good we should watch it again. So just kick back, relax, and I want to welcome you to Mount Wanahakalugi. Here we go. Listen, here's the deal. If you want a new identity, you want a new name, you want to be set apart and different, there is no other way but to stand through the fire. It is in the fire that he distinguishes you. He marks you as his. I want to just jot down the 50-20 principle on your sheet. The 50-20 principle. Um, this is from Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. We don't have time to go into the whole story, but basically what's happening is at the end of Genesis, there's this guy named Joseph, and he's been betrayed by his family. I mean, I don't know how bad your family is to you, but like they sold this joker into slavery, right? Like, we don't want to share our peanut butter sandwiches. You're going to go to slavery, right? They sold him in slavery. Um, he gets out. He thinks he's going to get better, and all of a sudden he's in jail, and then he's accused of, like, you know, of sexual impropriety, and he's just like up, down, all around. This is crazy. And at the end of Genesis, when everything that he knew God was going to do actually happened, and he's standing in a position of power, second most powerful person in the entire country, he's looking at his brothers, the people who sold him into slavery. Let me ask this question, what are you doing? In that moment, revenge is sweet, baby, right? I think I'll give you what you have coming to you, karma. And the reason why all that's not true it's because the response God has to that moment is Genesis 50-20. 50-20 principle says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. My prayer for you is this, that you would begin to see the fire that you're in. I'm not minimizing the flames. I'm not minimizing the heat. I'm not minimizing how hard it is, but that you would begin to see the fire that you're in even though if people threw you in there, if it's happened to you and you don't deserve it, it's not fair. God is using that to accomplish good. He's marking you. He's distinguishing you. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. I'm going to rephrase that and make it our big idea. Here's the big idea. What the enemy uses to extinguish us, God uses to distinguish us. Don't we want to be distinguished? We want to sit up straight, right? We want to hold our tea with our fingers out. We want to talk with an English accent. A spot of tea. Just a spot of tea, please. That's, but he don't want us to be like that. That's stuffy, right? What he wants is for us to be set apart and different. 
for people to look at us and say, that is a servant of the Most High God. And the only way he marks us, the only way he can mark us, is the way that he marked those three men. In the fire, he distinguished them. These are all cute phrases, but they're said a lot because they're true. Your greatest ministry will probably come from your greatest misery. I know the times in my life that have been the hardest are the times that have borne the most fruit for the kingdom of God. Stay the course. I love this. Fires into which we are thrown become fires in which we are grown. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for me. That we grow in the fire. That we don't grow in our ability to run from them. But that we grow in our ability to trust God. He wants to settle you, engulf you, nestle you, distinguish you. Because he wants to send you. Settle, engulf, nestle, distinguish. S-E-N-D. Send. He wants to send you out. He's got a plan to use you. Next week, we'll, we'll start looking at that. How do we fit into that mission? Where is he sending us to? But right now, this morning, here's how we're going to end. I just want you to, I want you to close your eyes. I want to give you the chance just to, you and, you and God, you and the helper, just start to ask these questions. God, where am I in that, God? Am I settled? Am I consumed with you? Am I protected by you? Am I distinguished from the world by you?